As some of you may have realized, I don't, uh, I'm not always real quick to answer my phone on a Sunday morning, um, except when my mama texts me, then I'm going <laughs> to clearly check that one. All right, good job, I know. Um, and she sent me a text this morning that uh, says something to the effect of, I'm always praying for you, but I feel particularly compelled this morning to pray for you and your sermon in the church. <laughs> and I said, there might be a reason for that. <laughs> It was like 8.15, and I still felt woolly inadequate. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to apologize for this one, other than to say it is, uh, this is a topic that's um, beyond the scope of time that I have this morning, if that makes sense. So the apology is just because I won't be able to get to everything as thoroughly as I'd like to. Uh, so maybe the challenge then is for you to go back and study it a little bit on your own um, to, to take more out of it. So what I want to discuss this morning for the few minutes that we do have is something we spend a huge majority of our lives trying to avoid. Shame. Nobody likes that, do you? So let's talk about shame for just a minute. And just to set the stage, I'm going to quote my uh, favorite dictionary, which is Noah Webster's dictionary that he originally wrote in 1828. Noah Webster being a very orthodox uh, believing man who gave lots of great definitions based on Scripture and examples based on Scripture. So his definition of shame is a painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt or of having done something which injures reputation or by that which, uh, or that which by nature or modesty prompts us to conceal. Shame is particularly excited by the disclosure of actions which, in the view of men, are mean and degrading, right? So there's a marked difference with shame as opposed to just feeling bad that you got caught, right? There's a huge difference, and I want to make sure we understand that one. We can all feel bad for having said something or done something. We can feel upset that we were caught, but shame is entirely different. Shame is very uh, very different. It's very pointed. It's this idea that we were not just caught or did something that we shouldn't do, but particularly... Uh, as far as this definition goes, mean or degrading. So this is beyond just a simple, well, I slipped up a little bit. This is something that's, uh, that's shameful. It implies guilt, and I would say the closest similarity that I can think of to this is the concept of conviction. And I've preached on this before and repeatedly tried to make that clear, that conviction for sin is more than just feeling guilty or being caught. It's the inward emotional uh, sensation that we have here when we realize that we are in shame and that we are doing things that God has told us very explicitly not to do. So why am I talking about shame? Well, (laughs) good question, even though you didn't ask. Uh, Shame is one of societies or even groups of societies, small sections of society, such as a church. It's one of our most powerful ways to ensure that we have people who are doing what they ought to do and not doing what they're not supposed to do, right? Now, we think about discipline, um, maybe catching someone who's breaking the law. If it was just as simple as discipline, then we could just simply, I I don't know, some type of apply some type of physical pain and then just go on about our lives and think, well, that fixes the problem, but it doesn't. What we find is that there's a level of shame that when you combine that with some type of discipline generally has a desired effect. 
quick example on this, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, you've probably heard of them before, they realized very early on that to really address the issue of drunk driving, they had to apply stigma and shame to the idea behind that. Right? So they developed a campaign around this concept, and what I have seen, kind of firsthand from trying to enforce this, over the years, uh, is that it's been very successful. And the idea that you drive while you're drinking today is shameful compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago, and it was just kind of more accepted. We knew it was wrong, but it wasn't seen in the same light. That's not to say it doesn't happen now, but you hopefully get the idea that we've applied a principle as society saying this is an unacceptable behavior and we're going to shame you if, if you do this. This happens among friends and among society and really helps society to stay within certain um, guidelines and boundaries. And so it's very powerful and used very effectively to help guide behavior. In fact, I would argue, as I mentioned, it's more important than physical punishment. Right? It's, it's more important than that, probably um, easier to apply. Now, this comes down all the way to small groups of societies, uh, and we could even say how it has application here within the church. Now, I'm going to be in quite a few different passages today, so you can uh, flip around or you can take some notes. Um, either, either way, that's helpful for you. But uh, just briefly, I'll mention that in 2 Thessalonians, we see a very interesting example of this that is applied to the church. Very last chapter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see the Apostle Paul who's giving instruction to the church about people who are inside the church who are idle, as in sitting still, who are refusing to work. And not only are they idle, but they're also busybodies. This idea that they're running around, running their mouth, right, causing dissension and problems inside of a small group of people. And he is saying that this is wrong and that if you're not going to work, then you shouldn't eat. Now, what Paul is not saying is that if you're unable to work that you shouldn't eat. In fact, in many other parts of the scripture, we are told to actually care for those individuals who are unable uh, to do something like that. So that's not what I'm talking about. I want to make sure that's abundantly clear. But instead, the implication very clearly here is people who are capable of doing something who instead are choosing not to and living off of other people's generosity. And he gives some words of advice. He gives instructions about this, verse 6 through 12, and I'll let you read that later. But I want to pick up in verse 13 where he says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what I say in this letter, what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." And so here we are seeing a specific example that we can apply to the church on a wider scale, that we are to identify people who are not living the way they're supposed to and to have nothing to do with them. And the purpose is to cause them shame. This doesn't mean they're not saved, doesn't mean they're not a brother or sister in Christ, but it's our way of encouraging people to do the right thing and discouraging people from doing the wrong thing. So we see that this is to take place not only within our society broadly, but also specifically within our churches to help people do the right thing and to keep them from doing um, the right thing. Now I want to, as I continue, give a very important caveat. We have gone too far with this sometimes. Okay? We can probably think back of times when we have shamed people over things that we shouldn't have. You're with me? And if society is anything like a pendulum, 
right, that swings to one extreme and then comes back to the other extreme, we are in the midst of a very serious swing of shame right now, right? We have gone really far one direction, and in some cases too far, but we are way out here in the wind with a lack of shame. And, I'm, and here I'm talking about our society. So let me just give you a couple of examples that I thought about. So it probably wasn't too many years ago that if in a small community you uh, didn't attend church, you had an amount of shame about you. Now, there are exceptions to this during harvest time and a variety of other things or travel, right? Back in the day, if you want to call it that, you know, 50, 70, 100 years ago, right? Uh, If you weren't actively a part of a church in some way, when you could go, there was shame and stigma attached to you. But if you think about it today, how many of you have acquaintances, we'll just keep it acquaintances, or maybe even some friends who apply some shame that you're here this morning? Why are you doing that? What are you thinking? You see how far we've gone the opposite direction. There's other examples we could think about. Um, church attendance, we could talk about um, adultery or idleness. Uh, There's all different types of things. And what we see is society going from one direction all the way out here. And we're sadly destroying the concept of shame in a society. It's no longer seemingly to be shameful for anything. And all you have to do is turn on the television or scroll through social media and look at some of what people say, some of what they do, some of what they talk about when they protest things, to realize you have to step back and go, is there no shame in anything in our society anymore? And we're almost to the point that I say, no, there isn't. People just do whatever they want to and seemingly do it without any amount of shame. And when this idea that we have certain guidelines and boundaries, rules that God has given us that we are to live within, and we abolish those completely and say, do whatever you want to, the society that we're living in begins to crumble because there is no foundation. This is a very serious problem that we have. Even more concerning is that as society society begins to disintegrate, many of us in the church have largely either helped or actually done nothing. Right? We have been confronted, no doubt in our personal lives, by people who tell us things, who live certain ways, and we don't even feel encouraged enough to say, I don't think what you're doing is right. But we should. We absolutely should call other people out. And we most certainly are required to call out our fellow brothers and sisters. Not to say you are no longer a believer, but to say you must live a life according to the scriptures. And if you refuse to do that, then I cannot have anything to do with you. That is the shame part that we have to be willing to give to each other when we need it. We are told to do these things. And when we do not, our entire society will fall apart. And so you may be sitting here and agreeing with me and saying, preach louder or amen. Okay. But here's the thing. Stop for just a minute and let's make sure we reflect inwardly. Is what you're doing, your actions outside of this building, shameful? Are you sure? Should it be? Would God consider it shameful? Is what you're reading, listening to, watching on television, doing at work or at school or wherever you are, whatever it is that you are doing, is that shameful? Because it gets really easy 
to justify everything that we do, doesn't it? Is what we're supporting and promoting shameful? Now, there's a lot of movements going on right now, and some of them are good and helpful to address, if you will, the support that we might have for companies and corporations and groups who are doing things we don't approve of. The reality is, if I only shopped at stores who shared my values, I'd go hungry very quickly. So there are limits to what we're able to do, but the reality is, we should really question, are we actually supporting those who are saying they're is no morality and that we should be able to do whatever we want to? We have to actually ask ourselves these questions. The other question is, are we just ignoring it? Are we flat out ignoring it? When someone comes into my office at work and they tell me they do certain things, do I just ignore it and go on? Or do I say to them, you know, that's not a good way to live. There's a problem here. Let's discuss this. Or am I just ignoring it? Because whether I am supporting it or ignoring it or partaking in it, it's all reducing the amount of shame that is in our society. We must be very, very careful. Shame ultimately comes from sin. If you go back to uh, the book of Genesis, we realize that Adam and Eve were created. They were placed in the garden. And the Bible tells us that they were not clothed, that they were naked, and they had no shame. That's very important. And then when sin entered the world and their eyes were opened, what did they immediately do? Well, they began to realize they were naked, and so they tried to clothe themselves with some leaves. And it wasn't sufficient, so God came down for the first time, killed an animal, blood was spilled to provide an adequate covering to cover the shame that Adam and Eve now experienced because of their sin. And that was paving the way and and, and symbolizing what would have to happen thousands of years later when Jesus Christ himself would have to be sacrificed for my shame, you see? And so this is part of the problem that we have in our society today. When we lose track of the shameful things that we do, when preachers stand before and never talk about the shame and the sin and the things that we do that are wrong, and just somehow it's all good and we're all happy and we're just supposed to you know, love each other, and it's great. We lose sight of the fact of why Christ had to die because somehow we don't have any shame anymore. So that was a long introduction to this point, or these two points. There are times when we should not feel shame. Because I think we all feel it at some point, multiple points, hopefully. And I would imagine that most of the people I'm talking to today understand what I'm saying. They're not way out there and there is no such thing as shame area. But I want to talk about two things. Two times when we should not feel shame. The first are things that are not under our control. We should not feel shame about things that are not under our control. And the second, I'm going to say this very carefully, I wrote it down, inactive, past sins covered by Christ. Inactive, past sins covered by Christ. So let me go back to the first one. We should not feel shame over things that are not within our control. As I said, society is a pendulum. And right now it's swinging way out here telling us there is nothing to be ashamed about with a couple of exceptions. I've been told repeatedly that I should be ashamed because I am a white, male, straight 
um, privileged person. Anybody ever experienced any one of those being applied to you? I get it frequently. You can't have an opinion. In fact, not only can you not have an opinion, you should feel bad because of the color of my skin. That's called racism, just in case we missed it. Right? There is nothing inherently bad about the color of anyone's skin. Period. End of story. There's nothing inherently bad about someone who has privilege or wealth or status or money. End of story. There is nothing inherently bad about whether you are male or female. Done. Now, there is something inherently bad about who you choose to have sexual relationships with, but the reality is whether... Hold on, let me make sure I get this right, because I don't want to continue this train and, and, and derail it, right? The point is, right, who you are attracted to is important, and how you act on that is important, and there is a right and a wrong to that, okay? You understand where I'm going with this? Okay, so here's the point. The things that are not within our control, we should not feel shame over. If someone tries to make you feel guilty or shameful because of who you are and something you can't control, that's a problem. We should not feel guilty over that. Now, just to make sure I'm abundantly clear here, because I feel like I messed that up because I was going a little too fast, let me go back to what I was trying to say. Whether you're white or black or any other color, it doesn't matter. That's, that's not in your control. And you can't feel shame over it. You shouldn't. Okay? How much money you were born into, how much power you have, what title you possess, a lot of that's not under your control, and you shouldn't feel any shame over that. Now, you can feel some shame over how you use it, because there's a right and wrong way. You're with me? Okay? But just the fact that you have it isn't shameful. The fact that you are a man or a woman is not shameful either. And specifically, going back to our sexual behavior, there is a right and a wrong way. There is a love that a man and a woman singly, jointly have together, and that is the only appropriate way, and there should not be any shame in that. And anything else is wrong, and you should have shame. All right, do you see how I threaded that needle? That's important. I just want to make sure nobody <laughs> misunderstood what I was saying there. Something else that we shouldn't feel shame over is when we've been victimized. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us have been taken advantage of. Some of us have been harmed. And somehow we carry that shame with us when, in fact, it was not our fault. And sometimes we'll go as far to say, well, if I just said this then or I'd just done this, then maybe X wouldn't have happened. Okay. But the reality is, if you have been a legitimate victim of something, you cannot and should not feel shame over it because it is not something that was within your control. One other very important thing that we should not feel any shame over, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The scripture very clearly says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we should never, ever, ever feel ashamed of quoting it, of saying it, of reading it, of studying it, of going to a church where it is preached, any involvement with the gospel of Christ, there should be zero shame ever. And so when society comes to you and says, there really is no such thing, you can do whatever you want to. You can be whatever you are. You can claim to be whatever you are, but you can't be white or you can't be a, a straight man or you can't be this or you can't believe in God. 
Never, never, ever take on any shame over those things. Now, different. We shouldn't feel shame over inactive past sins that are covered by Christ. Inactive past sins covered by Christ. It's very specific words. We should feel shame if we are actively sinning against God. You with me? We should feel shame if we're actively sinning against God. And we should absolutely feel shame if we've never been saved. Because we are wearing our shame. Whether we know it or not, we are the enemy of God. We are blind and we are naked, right? Going back to the very first thing that was shameful, right? If we have not been saved. The problem with this is some of us, those of us who are saved, so let me just say there, those of us who have been saved, Some of us continue to carry the shame of past behaviors that we're no longer longer involved with. You have to let that go. Through the power of Jesus Christ, you have to let that go. Why? Because he paid the penalty for your sin, past, present, and future, if you know him. And so to continue to carry the shame of what you once were or what you once did after he has paid that, after you have asked for forgiveness and received it, is not good. It is not healthy. It is not helpful. And we must be very careful that we do not come to know him as our Lord and Savior, repent to him, beg him for forgiveness, and then refuse to forgive ourselves if he has in fact forgiven you. We carry this burden around, sometimes like it's a trophy. And just in case you don't believe me, for those of us who are here, let me, let me try and again thread this needle. This is a hard topic. This is why I said my, my mom was right to pray for me this morning. Because here's what I'm trying to say. Some of us believers who have been saved and been redeemed by a living God who has forgiven our sins, carry around with us, almost on our shoulder, the shame as much as those who are out here living in the other direction carry around and proudly proclaim the opposite of their shame. Well, I'm a woman of color who blank, blank, fill in all these different things, therefore I can't be X. And sometimes we as Christian believers carry around our own past shame on our shoulder as much as many people in our society proudly carry the opposite of their shame to prove their worth. Brothers and sisters, if God has forgiven you, then you have no more shame because he took our shame for us. Now, the exception to this is if you are still living in active sin, right? If you are still actively doing something that God is telling you should be shameful, then you should feel ashamed until you apologize and quit doing that behavior. Now, I've jumped way ahead, so let me back up. Isaiah 50 and 7 says, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. 
here this idea that those of us who are believers should stand before a lost and dying world with a forehead made of flint. In other words, it is hard and something's going to bounce right off of it. And when they come to you and say, why are you at church? Why do you believe this? How could you possibly be a, a white woman who has this opinion? How could you even define a woman? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Right, stand there with flint and say, no, God says X. God says this. The Bible says this. And let all of it be scattered and broken on your forehead because it will be. Do not take on the shame society wants to give you because of your opinions about the gospel, because of the facts of the gospel. Let it bounce right off your forehead. The Bible also says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, if you have a sin in your life that you feel shame for and you have been saved, then you are but to go to the Lord, confess to Him, ask Him for help and guidance and to receive what He wants, which is for you to live a life of righteousness cleansed from things that are going on. Not to carry around your shame thinking it's hopeless. We also know that this has applications to salvation. Psalms 34 and 4 says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And Romans 10, 11 says, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. The reality is, having been saved, having the Lord take away my sins and carry my shame, both past and present and future, that when I stand before an almighty God, as sinful as I have been, as sinful as I am, and as sinful as I will be, the reality is when I am gone and I go before God on the great judgment seat, He doesn't see my sin and my shame. Why? Because Jesus Christ took it and abolished it. I don't have to worry about being good enough because Jesus Christ paid the price. Because Christ took our shame on the cross. You know, we see lots of really interesting pictures, less in Baptist traditions, but in many other forms of Christianity, of a crucifix of Christ hanging on a cross. And what you will probably almost always see is what? Well, the crown of thorns, but what else? Oh, a beautiful cloth draped gingerly over his sensitive areas that he would be ashamed to display. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was beaten to within an inch of his life and strung up naked on a tree for everyone to see and pass by and mock, and in fact did. The very beginning, what we talk about in Genesis... They knew they were naked. There is a part of this that is important to us, and we should rightfully, under sin, feel shame for being naked. And Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was stripped naked, beaten almost to death, and hung up on a tree for everybody to walk by and mock and make fun of Him. Why? For me, so that I didn't have to feel the passion and the burning um, uh, sin that is put on me. Instead, it was put on Him. He paid my penalty. He took all of that for me when I couldn't bear it. 
That is the beauty of who he is and what he did and shows the love that he has for us, that Christ took upon my sin. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You hear me quote this verse quite often, usually in sections. A couple of things to break it apart real quickly. Looking unto who? Jesus Christ. That is, all of us are to look unto Jesus Christ. Who did what? Who took our sin and the joy of it. Do we realize, do we, do we somehow think that Christ had to like have his arm twisted behind his back, that he really didn't want to do this? Well, he didn't want to take our sins. He did it with joy because he knew it would restore the relationship because the shame that separates God from us is removed the moment that he sheds his blood for us. The moment that we put our faith in him, that uh, shame vanishes instantly. And we can be restored to a right relationship with God. No longer having to have a blood sacrifice of an animal to cover us. No longer having to have trees try and cover us. No longer being short of anything. But instead, His blood and His sacrifice being enough to restore us to Him. And so He looked with joy to do that. He was happy to do it for you. At the same time, he despised the shame that he had to take on. And we sometimes miss this, that while he looked forward to doing this, he despised the fact that he would be dirty and shameful like we are, because he'd never had been. Because he'd walked a perfect life, having never, ever sinned, having never been separated from his father until the time that he took on my sin and your sin and my shame and your shame. Then he was separated. The father, the scripture says, turned his back, looked away from his son. And for the first time ever, Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be separated from the father. And he cried out in agony and he despised the shame that he wore on my behalf and your behalf despising the shame. And then a lot happened between the end of that and the next part of this verse, comma, and is sit down at the right hand of the throne of God because he prevailed. He bore my shame. He died. He rose victorious and is seated at the right hand of God. And so when, as a Christian, I feel as though I am carrying around shame, I should look unto Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed on my behalf, carrying my shame to get rid of that so that I can have a restored relationship with God. Salvation wipes away all of the past, present, and future shame that we have. Thus, we are saved, not under the law, but under liberty. James 1 and 25 says, But the one who looks unto the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty is the personal freedom from servitude, from confinement, or from oppression. When Christ paid my penalty, he freed me from the slavery that was the law, from 
the commands from the things that I could never live up to. I am no longer a slave to sin, but I should be a slave to who? The one who purchased me with his own blood. Jesus Christ came to set us captives free so that we are not bound by our shame. So, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And the last little warning I have with this, in case some of you are thinking, well, does this mean I can just do whatever I want to? Well, no. Romans 6.2, So then shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound. And Apostle Paul's inspired answer, God forbid. So here, let me again, make sure that everyone is following what I am trying to say here. We are a shameful people. Born that way. We make choices that continue to be that way. We bring shame on ourselves over and over and over again. And until the point that the Spirit of God works in your heart and draws you unto Him, and you go to Him understanding the shame, being convicted of the things that you've done, and seek forgiveness, and in faith put your trust in Him, and He forgives you, you continue to have a shameful, wretched, dirty, miserable life. And the punishment for that is eternal separation from God. If you put your faith in Him, if you have been saved, then all of that shame that you once carried is gone. Why? Because Christ carried it to the cross. It was crucified on the cross along with Him and is wiped clean. And the beautiful part, as I've said before, Christ didn't just die for what you've done in the past. He died for what you will do in the future. So as you continue to go about your life, if you continue to sin, guess what? When you put your faith in him, he died once for the sin of man. And you can be clean. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't go throughout our lives and we get off a little bit and we do some things we shouldn't do. We get involved in some things we shouldn't do. We say, we think. And it's even thinking it's just as bad. Scripture tells us that too, just in case you think you're getting away with it. If you sit and think about it and toy with it in your mind, it's just the same as doing it. We go through our lives and we have these struggles and we do things as believers that we then are ashamed of and rightfully should be. Rightfully should be. The point is, is that we call each other out because we love each other and we don't continue to do them. Instead, we pray to God and say, God, in your mercy, please forgive me for what I have done and help me to not do this anymore. So if you are a believer and you know that you've been saved and you feel shame today because of what you're doing, you need to either stop what you're doing and seek forgiveness in prayer. And maybe forgiveness from somebody else, depending on what it is. Or you need to realize that whatever you're carrying around as shame is something that should not be shame anymore. And you need to pray for forgiveness and help to drop that as well. So if you're actively sinning, pray and stop doing whatever it is. If you're carrying around shame of a past guilt, then pray for God to help you forgive yourself because he's already paid that price. And it's only going to wear you down and wear you out. So my summary is this. Society is not shaming what it should anymore. And in fact, as we read about a number of months ago in Romans 1, we're actually giving out prizes to see who can be the most shameful. Think about that. 
<laughs> that's completely true today. <laughs> Here's your trophy. You did the most despicable thing we could think of. Here you go. And because of that, our society as a whole is falling apart and will continue to get worse. We have no guidelines anymore. Christians have often joined in this, and we have either passively allowed it, or in some cases helped it, when we should have been shamed of it. At the same time, we should not be shamed over what's not in our control. I'm not guilty because I'm a white male. I'm not guilty because I believe in the gospel and its truth and stand behind what it says. I'm not guilty because of whatever I was victimized by in the past. Those are not shameful things. Nor am I shamed over past sinful behaviors. I regret some things that I've done. All of us should. But we should not carry the shame of them, especially if they were done before we were saved. And even if it's been since and we've sought for forgiveness from the Lord, then we shouldn't carry that around either. So the only remaining shame we should have is twofold. One is if you are not a believer, if you've never been saved, then you should feel shame. You should feel naked before God because guess what? You are. And your thoughts and your deeds and everything about you. If you have been saved and you are still feeling shame, then you need to stop doing whatever it is that you're not supposed to be doing or in some cases start doing what you should be doing. Again, not a license to go on sinning, but the warning and the guidelines that God has given us through His Holy Spirit for how we should live. Active sin against God should bring us shame. Whether you need to be saved or whether you are saved and need to simply repent and ask for forgiveness to stop, that is important. And we need to remember that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Trust me. It's never so easy, it's perfect. But it does get a little easier over time. It really does. For those of us who have a few salvation years on us, you can attest to that. You have to go back to that well. You have to go back to God. You have to go back to Christ. You have to confess your sins, not for salvation, but for forgiveness to restore the relationship that's there. And He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness, whether you need to be saved or whether you need to have a brief renewal. That's the key. It's the same outline. So brothers and sisters, as we look around in this crazy shameful world that sometimes I'm ashamed to be a member of. Well, I say sometimes. Let's just be honest. Most of the time, we need to really ask ourselves, have I ever been saved? And if I am, am I carrying a necessary shame, shame that I shouldn't? Or is it really something I need to pray to God and be forgiven for? And so that's my challenge for us today is we have a hymn, a time that we can reflect on where we're at. A time that you can come to this altar and to pray and to seek God. A time where you can ask for His forgiveness for wherever you found yourself in today's sermon. I would say if everyone's listening, 
everyone found themselves somewhere, I hope, today. And that we can begin to have our eyes opened. And this was a phrase, I didn't know where to work in, so I'll put it in here. So that we can be broken for the things that break God's heart. Because we've gotten really used to being filthy and dirty and caught up in the world. Sometimes we don't even see. If our 10-year-old self, as in 10 years ago, could look at what we're doing today, what would it think? Even I have a hard time answering that question. Maybe some of us need a little shame so that we can recognize what's wrong, seek forgiveness, and plant our feet in the right path.